Well, good morning, everyone. Have a seat. We are continuing on in our Mark series. Last week, we looked at the Upside Down Kingdom, and I love that Mark is the, the gospel in action because it's moving section by section. And last week, we looked at this Upside Down Kingdom, and it was interesting. We looked at the king of that kingdom, Jesus, picked ordinary people. You know, when he came into this world, he didn't go to the religious elite he just picked ordinary people, and this is what he was going to ask them to do. You are going to be my leaders, my early church leaders, and you are going to start and, and continue what I'm going to be teaching you with the time that I'm having with you. And he picked fishermen, just lowly fishermen is the words in Scripture, just average people. And it's just a reminder that if you're average, God can and will use you. And then the part of the upside-down kingdom was Jesus himself. He didn't come into this world to iron with an iron fist, to rule with an iron fist. That he came as a servant. And ultimately, he fulfilled that by dying for his people. That's not normal of what a king would usually do. They would protect him. But this king that we serve gave his life for us. And it's just a great, Mark captures all the important details within that section last week. And today we're going to continue on, and we're going to be looking at Mark 1, 21 through 28, the authority of Jesus. Jesus is going to really teach us, and we're going to hear from Jesus' words about authority. But before we jump into Scripture, I think it's important to really look at that word and talk about that word, because authority means something much different today than it did when I was younger. Like the, where we're moving culturally there's people who want less and less authority. And first, I just want to thank our country for all the authority figures that do exist because that helps bring structure, that helps bring order. So how do you respond to authority? Let's start with that. How do you respond to authority figures? You know, there are politicians that we have that have authority. Um, if you've ever been in a courtroom, you'll see that that judge in that environment he has authority. I love this about teachers. They have authority in their classroom. I love that. I love that we have men and women protecting our communities, police officers. And yes, I've deserved every speeding ticket I've ever received. <laughs> but let me tell you, if or when I'm in trouble and I need to call somebody, I'm going to call on them. And I just want to thank them for serving. I want to thank the men and women that serve this great country that protect our freedoms, and put their lives at risk. There's a lot of different authority in the government. And I just want us to understand really the true definition of what authority is. Because this is what Jesus is going to show us. And he's going to show us through his teaching, he has authority. And so when you look at that word authority, you may have never really connected these dots the people who have authority in your life are people you listen to. Just think about that for a minute. Think of all the people you listen to. And you might be thinking, well, you know, I listen to this person, I listen to this, does this person have authority? Well, if you agree with them and you listen to them and you're allowing them to influence you, because that's what Jesus is going to do, he's going to influence us with his truth and his word, and we're going to listen, and that's why we're going to see that he has authority. But really, who are you listening to? And this just isn't the young people, but I think this is important for the young people to look at too, because who are you listening to? 
Who has authority in your life? Who do you listen to that has influence that you like this person? You start following this person, and you start agreeing with this person. And so you're allowing this person to influence you about morality, about life, maybe the afterlife. But it's an important question to ask. I want to go back to when I was younger to daytime television back in the 80s and 90s when it really started to take root in influential people having talk shows. Now, I'm going to say some names. So if you're young, maybe your mom and dad will have to you know, exp- you know, share who this was. But like Phil Donahue, Oprah, Phil Don- or, uh, Dr. Phil, and then Ellen. Now, I know I'm missing a lot, but those are probably the most influential ones. And what people don't recognize is that those people had authority over them. I think Oprah became one of the most influential people in our world let alone just here in our country about a talk show. Why? People set their VCR recorder, talk to your parents, kids, what that is, (laughs) every day from Monday through Friday. They did not want to miss what she had to say. They loved her. They listened to her. They agreed with her. And basically what she said goes. Now let's fast forward to today. I think our youth have way more opportunities to fall under the authority of people because of social media. The social media empire has allowed this opportunity. You don't have to be this television star. Anyone now can have influence. Anyone can get on. And what is their desire? Let's just throw out this term, this professional YouTuber. What would his goal be? To get more subscribers, to get more followers. It's interesting, from talk show host to social media, it's Jesus' model. Last week, he said, Jesus came up. Simon Peter said, drop your nets and follow me. What is the social media people who want more influence? What are they? They're looking for more followers. How are they going to influence their followers? By either their silly videos or whatever they're going to communicate. They build a relationship, a rapport with somebody. They start teaching them about their values, about their agendas. People fall under their authority because they're listening. Just think how that works and the influence that that has on us. And I'll tell you what, there is a lot of noise in our world. There's a lot of opinions out there. And there's so much about this and that in everything about life, and you'll find so many different perspectives. So who are you going to listen to? And unfortunately, I'm grateful that I grew up in the area I did because I was an impressionable impressionable kid. Meaning I don't know what I would have believed. I didn't come to faith till my mid-20s, but there would have been a lot of years I would have been hearing about, especially the noise of the world today that's not pointing anything to Jesus. It's a matter of fact, it's pointing people the opposite direction. And I think of all these children like I was, and if my teacher would have told me something, I would have believed it. I would have believed it. Why? Because she had authority in my life. And when I was young, you were were brought up to respect your teachers. And so I just think of the world today and how this world is leading people away from God because there's so many people giving their opinions, and it's not aligning with God's truth. So that's what we're going to be looking at today because authority matters. We're going to be looking at Mark 
Mark 1, 21 through 28. If you have a Bible, we're going to go ahead and read throughout through those eight verses. And we'll then take our time and go back and look at it. Here it is, Mark 1, 21 through 22. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Now verses 28 through, or 27 through 28. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly through the entire region of Galilee. So we're going to be looking at these three things as we go through those eight verses again. We're going to be looking at how we think, how we live, and the final say. And we're going to start with this. Here's point one today. Jesus gets the final say on how we think. He cuts through endless debates by defining what is true or false and what is right and wrong. When we look at the world and there's so much information, where do we turn? We turn right here. We turn to the Bible. This is how God has revealed himself, his word to us, and everything that is true and false and right and wrong. So back to the scripture, it says this, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now this is early in Jesus' ministry, and the synagogue is where religious leaders would go, and they would take the scrolls, it would be about the Old Testament, but we need to understand this. They didn't just let anyone get up and teach. So Jesus is starting. We're still in chapter 1 of Mark, but he's starting to have influence. He's starting to gain. He's starting, you know, he's done a couple miracles at this point, and his name is getting out there. So he had the opportunity to go in and teach. Now, it's interesting. Mark does not tell us anything of what Jesus says, because that's not the point of the gospel of what's being communicated to us today. All we know is that he taught. We do not know what he said from the author Mark. But here's the result. The people were amazed at his teaching. So let me just, just without saying, but Jesus was the best teacher ever. Like, if you want to hear a good sermon, listen to Jesus. Go to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Like, you will see the best sermon ever preached, and you'll hear the words of Jesus but it was different. It was different. There was something different about Jesus that people recognized and what they connected to. He says, for he taught with real authority. This was authority that they've never seen before through the teaching at the synagogue. And they've had a lot of examples. And so as you can imagine, you walk into a synagogue, what had been happening, this guy would get up, he would take out the scroll, this is what the Lord says. And he might be engaging, he might not. Look, we have a team approach here. You might have walked into these doors today saying, oh man, it's Pastor G again. <laughs> Dang. 
I was hoping for Brian or Dean or 20 more minutes and you'll be done with me. So there is hope. But we believe here at Alpine, one of our core values is we, we win as a team, not as individuals. And partly why we have different teachers is we don't want any one campus to be built around any one man's personality. And it's great that we have a teaching team because we want this to be centered on Jesus. You know what I love about Alpine? And we have two baptisms at the end of the second service today. Yeah, amen. They never say, oh, pastor, so-and-so, you're so great. It's always their testimonies. Testimony is always about Jesus. May we become less as pastors and Jesus, you become more. May we influence you less. Now, we'll do our part. We'll speak truth and love. But may Jesus be the one that speaks to your heart. He's the one that brings healing. And I love that. And we see that there's this real authority happening, unlike they've never seen before, from the people who are hearing Jesus teach. And there's really three sub-points that we want to talk about before we get off and leave this point of the truth about Jesus, of why he has real authority. And the first thing is that he created us, that his creation power. So he is the creator of all things, it says in Scripture. Nothing was created without him. So when you go back to Genesis, and this is the triune God, and how you know three distinct persons, part of the personhood of Jesus was creator. And if you want to know something about something made, the best place to look is the one who created it. So if you want to know how we should think, you should look to our creator because he created us. He spoke us into existence. And nobody knows us as well as Jesus knows us. So if you want to know the details about how something, you don't take your car to your florist. You take your car to somebody that's going to know details about a car. If you want to know details about us, you turn to the Bible. You turn to Jesus, who is our creator. The second thing that we want to look at is Jesus' omniscience, meaning he is all-knowing. Jesus will never have to go on YouTube to learn how to do something. Now, I'm grateful for YouTube, but that's the difference between Jesus and myself. He knows everything. I have to look how to fix a leaky toilet. I have to look at all details because I have to learn because I am not, I am not all-knowing. And who better to tell us how to think than the one who knows everything? When you think about it, he is, his knowledge is perfect. So if you want to know what your marriage should look like, you should turn to God's word. Why? Because he knows. He knows what is true and he knows what is false. And his knowledge is perfect. Kids, if you want to know how you are supposed to be, you should look to God's word. I think that's a great mentoring conversation that parents can have with kids. What does Jesus' word, because the word became flesh, so he's the all-creator, and then the word, Jesus, became flesh, so he is truth, and he walked this life with us, and he will tell you exactly how we are to be in relationships. That's who we should be listening to, meaning that Jesus Jesus' voice should be the most authoritative voice 
we listen to. There's a lot of authority in this world. There's a lot of different kind of authority environments. But it's Jesus who gets to tell us how we should think. And then the last thing, he's perfect morally. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. You know, every once in a while, you'll be hearing what's happening in in the world. And, And yes, this happens to church leaders. And there's been some amazing church leaders. And then you'll hear about something that comes out. And you're like, oh, not him. Oh, man. And you think, oh, man, what's that going to do for Christianity? You know, the the unbelieving world's going to see even the Christians aren't perfect. You're right, we're not. But we should be the first ones to admit it. But you know who doesn't fail? He came into this world who was perfect morally, didn't sin. And we looked at this in the second week. He was tempted, but he didn't fall into temptation. It's Jesus. He tells us what is true and false. He tells us what is right and wrong. And yes, we're going to make mistakes, and we'll get to that. But we we have to still, as believers, we still have a heart of repentance that even though possibly we're slipping or some of us might be indulging into sin, God's going to be there to welcome, welcome us back because he paid for the price when he died on that cross. But there's still, as a believer, that you go to God because you want to turn from that sin and you bring that sin to him. Why? Because we are not perfect. And what happens very often in our culture, people will put people on the pedestal. That pedestal does not belong to people. That is reserved for God Almighty. Jesus should be on that throne and no one else. And the minute we start putting people and elevating people, they are just going to let you down. Why? Because they're just like you. Like I just, when I start a mentoring conversation with somebody, I just get this right out of the way. I am going to let you down. Guess what? You're going to let me down. Isn't that great to get that conversation off just right from the start? Like, I don't expect any more from you. You shouldn't expect any form from me. Because why? Because we're not perfect. I'm far from perfect. And I want to love on you and I want to do, but I'm not going to be perfect. Don't put expectations of perfect with the word perfect connected to our relationships. Nobody knows this better than Jesus. Go back and look how frustrated he was with the disciples. Now, amen, they got it. They finally discovered it. But man, did they take a while. Well, we're the disciples in the story. And yes, as we're walking and doing ministry, we're going to struggle. We're going to not be able to accomplish everything perfectly. But Jesus did. And that's why those three things, his creation, his omniscience, and his perfect morality... That's why he should be the one we listen to and tell us how we should think. So again, who are you listening to? Young people, who are you allowing to influence your life? Because who we think to leads to action of how we are going to live. And that's the second point. How we live. Jesus gets the final say on how we live. By casting out an evil spirit, he proved that he has authority must be obeyed. His authority must be obeyed. We're going to look at that. And it 
really as we think about now, if we're aligning our thoughts with Jesus, now we are set up now. Now we have the opportunity. Now we have the chance to be able to live a life that is honoring to God. And that is so important. So let's let Jesus continue to speak to us. It says, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now you might be sitting here and going, okay, this is a possessed guy. Like I've never been possessed, so I don't really need to listen to this. But if you missed our spiritual warfare series late last fall, it's on our, you know, you can go to the website, you can go back. It's a great series because there is this spiritual world that exists. And the reason why is Satan, it was his pride. His pride, he challenged God because he wanted to be worshipped like God was worshipped. But that is something that is reserved only for God. Worship is something we only give God, and Satan wanted it. Therefore, God banished him from heaven, and he took a third of the angels with him. And now they have influence in this world till Jesus returns. So you may have never been possessed by a demon, but you have been influenced through sin. Meaning, have you ever sinned? You better believe the question to that answer for all of us is yes. And yes, demons and Satan influence us with that sin. And they create these environments where they want to get a foothold. We talked about this. And once they get a foothold in our life using the sin that we trip up on, we should be able to all relate to this. Then they want a stronghold. And if you've ever really been dominated by some sin, yes, that was the influence of Satan. He might not have possessed you because the other important thing to understand, where the Holy Spirit resides, when we come to faith, we have the Holy Spirit residing in us, we cannot be possessed. Demons cannot possess within where the Holy Spirit resides. But for non-believers, it's different. They can, and we see examples time and time and time again. But don't just minimize this because you've never been possessed by a demon. This is important information to know because, yes, Satan still influences us. But now getting back, and the, and the angels, the, the fallen angels, the demons know the details. They know the authority of Jesus. They know what's going to happen to them because at one time they were up in heaven reigning with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son in perfect harmony. Then the fall happened within the angels as well as man. And he says, have you come to destroy us? See, the demon is asking Jesus, I know your power. I know your authority. Have you come to destroy us? Because I know what's going to happen to us. You know, Hollywood loves to make these movies about paranormal, and they're, they're really good about it, but they scare when they give all the power to the darkness. What does this demon acknowledge? The first thing he wants to know, are you going to destroy me, Jesus? See, we shouldn't tremble at the sight of demons. Demons tremble at the sight of Jesus and believers. That is the truth. That is the truth. And there's only one person in the synagogue, well, not person, one being, there's one being in the entire synagogue, because people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. There is only one being in the synagogue that knows who Jesus is. You are the Holy One of God. The other hearers, the people that are listening to it, they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus is starting to gain influence. His teaching is starting to draw them in. But they have not really understood all the details about Jesus, but the demon does. And the demon knows who Jesus is, that he is the 
Holy One of God. Let's continue on reading. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. That demon had no option but to obey. Why? Because the demons are in a little bit different place than we are. They started in heaven. They understood all the details. They understand how it's going to end for them. They understand that. They know this real authority, that Jesus has authority. Whatever Jesus says, they must do because he is the real world. We still get to choose. We can listen to whoever we want. God said, freely choose Adam and Eve. He's saying for us, you can freely choose. You can choose me. You can choose Oprah. You can choose the YouTube influencers. But what Jesus is saying is that be careful because there's consequences to the wrong choice. Right now, we might not see that consequence, especially non-believers that don't believe there's a God. And maybe you know somebody that falls into that camp. But point number three is very important, and here it is. For now we choose who gets to influence our lives with authority, but the day will come when everyone will submit to the only real authority in the universe. I said there's many ways and many venues that authority happens here on earth. But there's a point at time, there is just one way, one authority, and that is through Jesus. Philippians says it like this, chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus came to save. His first coming to this world, he came to save. The second coming is going to be much different. Yes, people will have an opportunity to respond, but for all those, it's important to understand every knee is going to bow to the Lord Jesus. Every knee. Every tongue is going to confess, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. He's going to make it very clear, very, very known to all those currently now who are saying God doesn't exist. God, that person is going to know because they're going to confess, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. I was wrong. Think about that. And what we have is this life. In Revelation, it talks about this. If your name is not in the book of life, then you will spend eternity separated from God Almighty, the God who loves you, the God who did everything to keep you from hell, the God who died for you, the God who came in and loved you, and he proved that love by going to the cross and dying for your sins. He was sinless, but he, again, the king, died for his people. He took our place. He stood in and took the punishment that we deserved from our sin, and he took that upon himself. And as he was going to God the Father on the way to the cross, he says, God, 
Father, take this cup from me. And he's feeling this anguish. We put that anguish on him because he needed to become sin for this temporary moment that he took all the sin upon himself. And that was going to cause separation between he and the Father. And Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled it. He said, but your will be done every time he asked for this cup to be taken because of the anguish that he was feeling about, yes, the crucifixion, but also that temporary separation from God the Father brought so much pain and anguish onto Jesus. And he did that so that you could be saved. He did all of that for you. He allowed himself to be separated by the Father so that he could save you. And I love how Matthew says it again. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's Jesus. My friends, I hope that you would say, man, am I going to be intentional about listening to you, Jesus? Because you are the real authority. Looking back at the demons who gave him that name, and responded in that way. Why? Because he does have the authority. We don't have to guess. And you can trust. Jesus is perfect. He's not going to fail you. I loved how Luke said it last night, though. When we pray for miracles, sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's no. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. Some of us need a hard life. Some of us need an easier life. That's not for us to say. We leave that up to Jesus because he is the authority. And we need to submit to him. After hearing from Jesus in this part, in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, our response is to listen to him, say, Jesus, you have the authority in my life. 